Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, family. On this week's episode, as usual, we're talking bodies. That's why I want to tell you about Superfit Hero. Superfit Hero is on a mission to make fitness more inclusive. OMG, so are we. They make fun premium activewear sizes extra small to 5XL. Oh, and their leggings don't just fit our bodies. They have pockets too. This season, you can use code SAF for 15% off Superfit Heroes leggings, shorts, and sports bras. I have an extremely cute workout set from Superfit Hero in this beautiful gem green color, and I love the high neck of the bra. I get compliments on the set every time I wear it, so why don't you match with me? Head to superfithero.com SAF for your next comfy workout or lounge day and use code SAF. I'm Sophie. I'm April. And this is She's All Fat, the podcast for body positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. This week, we'll discuss gaslighting yourself, the intersection of disability justice and fat activism, Plus, we'll spill the disability and Alex, or at Glamputee, will be answering questions with me. And what do you have to say for yourself, April? Look how cute my soap is. Love you. First up, we've got My Girl April's Obsessions. Hit it, April. What's up, everybody? It's April. I'm back with my weekly obsessions. You might notice my typical, to quote one of you, velvet voice isn't present this week. I do have my quarterly case of bronchitis, okay? She's a sickly bitch, but she's here. And she loves you. Here are my obsessions. Number one, there is a show on Comedy Central right now called The Other Two that you need to watch. So when I'm recording this, I think the finale was last night. So you'll be able to watch all of it on the Comedy Central app or, you know, on wherever you watch your shows. It's so good. If you know me, then you would be like, wow, April, why didn't you think of this show? Which I concur. So the premise is a 13-year-old Justin Bieber type goes viral with like a horrible music video. It's called I Want to Marry You at Recess. Like he's just one of these like Vine star, very cute 13-year-old heartthrobs, right? He gets immediately famous. The show is not really about him. It's about his two siblings who are like 13 years older than him who are like not successful at all like they are fuck-ups one of them is an inspiring actor slash waiter slash i mean i really don't want to spoil it for you (laughs) and then he has a sister who's an ex-dancer and um 
she's a fuck up as well. I love them so much. It's so funny. Like it's one of those shows where immediately when you turn on the first five minutes of the pilot, you're like, this is going to be my favorite show. Uh, The tag scene at the end of the season finale, I genuinely cried. So when you get there, I want you to tweet me that you cried too. Watch the other two. It's amazing. My next obsession this week, smoked salmon. Okay. So I'm late to smoke salmon. Um, as you know, I'm not fancy. I never have been. Um, my sister and I recently hit up Costco. They had a smoked salmon like variety plate. We're like, you know what? Let's just dip and dab and just dip our toes in. Guess what's amazing is smoked salmon. So that's all I have to say about that. Trader Joe's has a really good like pastrami style smoked salmon. So if you too have been like, what is that? It looks raw. I would encourage you to go ahead and just try some smoked salmon. Yeah, but that's my only note on that. Next obsession. Okay, so there's a comedian named Patty Harrison. If you're into Shrill, which I'm sure you are if you listen to this podcast, she is the weird secretary who asked for the $20 quote for her, okay? She's a hilarious, amazing comedian. YouTube suggested this video to me this week of like a little clip from her Comedy Central stand-up, and it's called uh, Patty Harrison like wrote a song for Dua Lipa, and she performs this song that she wrote for Dua I know things are moving fast Like I said, we met an hour ago When you served me a sandwich But I am in love with you Because you are taller than me so you're, you'll need to watch that in full. You'll need to follow her on Twitter. She is incredible. She's so funny. Um, I stand. Uh, final obsession of the week. Okay, so you know I have complicated feelings about Gina Rodriguez. I always have. She's anti-black. She's problematic. Nobody saw Ms. Bala, and that's 100% on her. That said, Jane the Virgin is back this week, and it's one of my favorite shows. <laughs> the season premiere is so good. If you saw the season four finale that I'm sure you've been waiting on bated breath as of I, because it was fucking insane. So no spoilies at all, but I will say there is a scene in the season premiere where Gina Rodriguez did an entire act of the episode, like a six minute scene in one take. And I haven't seen anybody talking about this on Twitter. I haven't been on Twitter a lot, but I also think everyone's just mad at her, which I am too. But honestly, like, hats off. It was fucking incredible. (laughs) You have to see it. I will always support art from women of color, even though Gina Rodriguez in particular owes me an apology. Um, So those are my obsessions for this week. Also, I'm sure So's going to talk about it, but... You need to cop yourself an SAF shirt if you can afford it. As she's gotten into, of course, sustainable, unethical fashion is a little bit more expensive. But those shirts are cute. And let me just say I have several Daisy shirts because, of course, we've worked with Danny for a while now. And all of them are, like, unbreakable. Because I wear my clothes hard. Like, I have six outfits, pretty much. I just cycle through the six outfits. This shirt, not a rip, not a tear. It's so comfy. It just gets softer with age. And you got to do what you can to support Soph and Danny. This uh, partnership is so incredible. Photoshoot is so cute. I've been showing everybody. I'm like, look how cute my Soph is. You got a copy shirt. Uh, okay, that's it. Back to you, Soph. Okay, here's my obsessions for this week. I'm extremely late to this, and I'm pretty sure this was one of April's obsessions, like <laughs> last year. But I just started watching you on Netflix. Um, very into it. Really think it's a fun new take on 
anti-hero, creepy stalker crime story. I feel like usually with an anti-hero, we're supposed to like him. And I do not think we're supposed to like this main character, Um, but we're like extremely in his head. And usually I think voiceover is like cheesy, but I don't know. I'm just enjoying it. It's very campy and fun. Yes, April is right. I am also obsessed with our merch. I love the collab that we did with Daisy. If you want to grab your shirt that says Allies of All Size, um, you can head to the Daisy LA website and use code SAF so that we get the percentage from it um, and you get 10% off anything in the Daisy brand. Danny and I designed the shirt together and... If you want more explanation or like behind the scenes on how and why we made this shirt, you can go to my Instagram at underscore Sophia CK underscore and watch. I have it as like a pinned um, story thing. Um, But the day of the shoot for the pictures, I did a long like behind the scenes explanation of how we came up with it and why we're excited to work with Daisy, et cetera, et cetera. I'm also not to sound like a shill, but like I'm material I'm <laughs> materialistic and I love items. And like I'm not kidding when I say, like I just want to be very clear. We do ads with companies that we actually really like. Like every company that we work with for an ad, we ask them to send us an an item from their like offerings so that we can test it and make sure that we really like it. Anyways, The point is that like, I'm honestly obsessed with both my Rose Merino candle and my Superfit Hero leggings. I've just never had a a matching set that I really liked. I know there's like other places you can get it, but this one has really good pockets. Like you can put, I put my whole iPhone 10 in the pocket. This part is not sponsored. I just freaking like the leggings. So like with this set, there's the bra and the leggings. Obviously that's what a set is made out of. This is why I need April here. I sound like a fool in here by myself. The high neck on the bra makes me feel more comfortable having my tummy showing for some reason. Like it feels like, ooh, it's just like a little peak of tum because like you can't see the top of my boobs at all. I don't know. It just feels fun and sexy and flirty. Okay. Anyways, um, last couple of weeks, a couple brands that I like have expanded their sizing. It's interesting. Like, I think I've been noticing a lot of brands that do expanded, like expand their sizes. They go up to size like about 24 and that's where they stop. I think part of that is probably because of the stuff that I talk about in my like saved highlighted story about the Daisy LA collab we did. Anyway, I've been tracking some of these expansions. For example, maybe like a year ago, Madewell did expanded sizing. I still haven't tried their jeans yet, but I really want to. Anthropology just came out with their extended sizing. I think that one goes up to a size 24 also. Bando sent us some items that are really cute and go up to a size 24, though some items are smaller than others, but I do like them in general. And Reformation, which is leading the way in sustainable clothing and has that like cool girl aesthetic, they're pretty pricey, but also completely transparent about their ethical standards. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just interested in following how these different fashion brands are, how they're talking about their 
expansions and how they're rolling them out. Like, I think it's really smart what Bando did, which is like contact a bunch of plus size influencers and be like, let us send you stuff. Um, And when they sent us stuff, the card that they sent, it had like pictures of other like influencers who I know, who I'm like, okay, cool. So they like actually worked with like people who care about how like plus size clothes fit on plus size people. Um, That makes me trust them more. Reformation, on the other hand, in the past has like worked with that like plus size model who ba- who was like, you know, health shaming of other fat people. It's like, you know, she wasn't really fat, but like, so that makes me like trust them less. And like, I haven't heard anything about their line expansion. Like they haven't reached out to us. They haven't, I don't know who else they might have reached out to, but like, that's a very different approach to me. That feels more like they're just expanding because they want to make more money versus like when Bando goes like, Hey, we like have pictures of cute fat girls in our clothes and we're sending them to you. Like that feels different. But, you know, in the end, it's all capitalism and that's going to make the the earth just be a huge trash heap and, and we're all not all over cycling enough and whatever. Let's move on to our Apple podcast review shout outs. Y'all know the drill. Leave us a review, rate us and review us, and we'll give you a shout out right here on the show. So thank you to the people who have the following usernames. Lizzo underscore abena underscore library jen hannah at c megan underscore b and sammy music lover thank y'all so much for your kind ratings and reviews and one day itunes will recognize us and that day will be a day to remember Okay, moving on again to our Patreon shoutouts. Um, these are the people who keep us afloat, literally pay the bills, uh, literally are my favorite people in the world because you all pay for the podcast. Um, we appreciate y'all so much. So a shout out to the following patrons. Um, Adi Farage, Angela Cohn, Crystal West, uh, my icon, Crystal, love you so much, Big Slappy, <laughs> Zoe Howland and Madison Kitts Gaston. Thank you all so much for being patrons. We appreciate you so, 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 so much. Um, go to patreon.com slash she's all fat pod if you want your name to be read out. Here are some tip jars from our Hannah's. So one Hannah sent us three Instagrams that they like to follow. We'll put these in the show notes. Um, she described them as forces in the disability community. So that's at crutches underscore and underscore spice at Annie Laney and at Ruby Allegra. I follow Ruby Allegra and they're really cool. So yeah, those are in the show notes. And here are some other voice memos about how we can use different language. Hi, Canadian Hannah here. I'm a little late to the She's All Fat Pod fam, um, but I'm loving the show. Thank you so much. So given that I'm behind, I am offering some language that is around some of the discussions of disability rhetoric when talking about folks being active in the gym. And a new term that I've been learning that has come from uh, the community themselves is uh, diversibility or diversible. So that's just something for consideration. And uh, yeah, just wanted to share that uh, bit of rhetoric. 
Hey lovelies, first up, I just want to say thank you so much for the podcast. I listen to it on my way to work and it gives me so much strength for dealing with crap men at work. I've just finished listening to your last episode and it sounded like at points you were slightly struggling with what language to use around disability and I think what would be really helpful for you guys is to look at the social model. It basically suggests that people aren't disabled by their bodies, they're disabled by the structures that don't let them access stuff. So people have impairments and then society is what makes them disabled. So you could talk about people with impairments or disabled people. But yeah, if you look at the social model, it'll be a lot clearer than I've just explained it. Thank you so much and keep doing what you're doing. Now a call for submissions. Fat actors, we want to know what you have to say about costuming. Um, send us a voice memo about your experience with getting costumes or being fit by the costume department for stage shows or TV shows or whatever you've been in. Okay, now we do a little shout out for the Facebook group, which you can also be in if you're a patron at Team Paisley Moo Moo. Um, this week in the Facebook group, people are talking about their own answers to the mailbag episode questions. They're talking about red jumpsuits, shout out to Shro, and uh, Jamila Jamil, who comes up uh, quite a bit. <laughs> We'd like to also plug my extra little segment that we do for Team I Love Bread. That is um, our Patreon team that gets an extra mini-sode every single week. This week, we have a special mini-sode featuring an extended Ask a Fatty slash Ask a Glamputee with Alex, who was our guest today. Um, we get further into the behind the scenes of a small business, and we talk to another disability justice activist as well. You won't want to miss it, and here's a little clip. So my name is Natty. Um, I identify as being physically disabled, so I use a crutch to walk. Um, and I've been disabled all my life, so I was born with it. And so I do um, advocacy work um, on disability justice. A lot of the work that I do right now is presentations and trainings at conferences or workplaces and whatnot. All right, stick around for the meat of it. The meat of it. Today we're talking about disability and disability justice and how it intersects with fat justice and activism. I'm not an expert on this. I'm not really an expert on much except for uh, expensive skincare and Paddington too. What a clever little bear. I have a processing slash learning disability. I have ADHD. I also somewhat consider my chronic illnesses to be disabilities. Overall, I mostly think that the mottos of the body positive movement to respect all bodies or include all kinds of bodies tip a hat to disability inclusion, but many body positive spaces or Instagrams or whatever aren't really inclusive in practice. It's important to Team SAF that our body positivity centers many intersections, and I wanted to really learn more about how to better include disability justice in my body positivity. In approaching this episode, I thought a lot about the ways that the good fatty trope can also harm people with disabilities, especially, obviously, people who are disabled and fat. 
If someone is trying to justify or excuse their fatness by saying that they're healthy or they exercise so or they eat right so or whatever, that's an argument that they should be acceptable to the general public, the thin public, because they're doing things that the general public would accept as healthy. And without saying the words exactly, it says that good fatties are better than people who aren't doing those things. That obviously is harmful for people who will never be the idea of ultimate health. Disabled fat people will never be able to pretend to be good fatties. And that kind of framing says that being healthy is the ultimate goal, the best thing and the only thing you could be working towards. You already know we're not about that here. We're about fighting for a world where people are respected as people. And that respect is not contingent on their health or their body size or anything else. A world where we're kind to each other and we listen to each other's needs. And you don't need to justify wanting to be treated as a person. It's especially important, we think, to know about the social model of disability, just like that voice memo that our Hannah sent us in the tip jar, which shifts the framework from something being wrong with a body to a society that won't accommodate diversity and difference. That framework is really familiar and easy to get to behind for someone in fat activism. For example, this essay linked in the show notes from your fat friend, our actual friend and anonymous writer on Medium on fat justice clearly makes this connection. Quote, I need a movement that works to increase access to public spaces for fat people. One that works to win airline seating that's safe and comfortable for all of us, regardless of weight, height, ability, or age. One that pushes for universal design, public spaces that work for families and individuals, fat people and thin people, and people of all abilities. Sounds like we should be making these connections in our fat activism, right? But I still didn't know where to start. So, I went to an expert. I was lucky enough to go to a workshop called Spilling the Disability, run by the amazing activist and educator Alex Locust at GlampUT on Instagram. Forward, particularly like women with developmental disabilities, saying like, I've fought my whole life for independence and sexual autonomy. Over several hours on a beautiful day in Altadena, where I was born, Alex did an amazing overview of disability justice for us including the mechanisms that create disability, the historical context of disability, microaggressions, and expanded understanding of inclusion, disability culture, and much more. I learned a ton, and I highly recommend supporting his work or attending one of his workshops. Links in the show notes, of course, and also there's a link to his website, which has a ton more resources and information. We were lucky enough to chat with Alex for this episode both before and after the workshop. Yeah, uh, my name is Alex. I'm a counselor. I'm a workshop facilitator, community organizer, you know, just trying to help give people a leg up on disability justice. Uh, Yeah, and today's uh, my community building exercise around disability justice, helping people learn more about not just disability rights, but how, you know, as you mentioned, disability intersects with other identity groups and, and marginalizations. 
Could you just give a brief definition of what disability justice means? Disability justice is uh, has a lot of tenants. It was proposed by Patty Byrne and some other queer disabled people of color in the Bay Area, and you know some of those things being intersectionality, interdependence, right? Not this like I can do everything, me, me, me. It's like asking for help and owning our our limitations is a sign of strength. Anti-capitalist, uh, cross movement solidarity, right? So all of these things kind of blend really well into conversations around like fat acceptance, body positivity, things like that. Can you even give just a brief definition of disability and the different kinds of disability? Because I think a lot of our listeners have a general idea what it is, but probably don't have a super clear view of all the different ways disability can be identified and seen and felt. Many people, when I ask them in workshops to define disability, focus a lot on impairment. So the World Health Organization defines an impairment just as a problem in body function or structure. So it's kind of in a vacuum. You know, if you look at me as an amputee and you just see a leg missing and you say I have a disability, I would argue you're you're kind of focusing a little bit too much on on an absence, right? This medical model of like, your body's different, that's bad, let's apply medicine and fix it. The social model of disability uh, is interrogating that and saying, how does the environment create disability, right? How does my life as an amputee complicated by the way people treat me, the physical access of environments, the complications of the healthcare system, right? All those things. So disability is more of the, the phenomenon of this interaction of features of a person's body and features of the society that they live in. You know, I mentioned I'm an amputee, I'm missing a limb. You know, people focus a lot on visible physical disabilities, you know, wheelchair riders, people who are blind, cerebral palsy, things like that. But there are a lot of invisible disabilities. You know, you've mentioned chronic illness on the podcast. You've talked about chronic pain. You know, people overlook uh, psychological disabilities very often, you know, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. Disabilities beautiful in that there are so many ways that it can uh, be experienced, but it's also really complex because it's this huge umbrella term for so many different experiences that even the monolith of like amputee is really complicated, right? There's like above the knee amputees and below the knee amputees. So, you know, it gets really complex when you dive in deeper. I feel like there's a thing about disability that never gets totally defined, at least in my opinion, that's like, it also is an important part of it that it's like, long-term, for lack of a better word. Sometimes part of disability to me has to do with being able to integrate it into your identity in a way you don't if it's like, I broke my leg. That's not a disability, right? It's like a temporary impairment for like the way you normally function in the world. And that long-termness like helps you integrate it into your identity because it's a part of you and not something that's being placed on you. Um, So with that in mind as well, can you talk a little bit just about how you like to talk about the words you use to talk about disability. And I'm interested to hear how it's similar to how we like have tried to reclaim the word fat, basically. The way that I perceive disability and identity is like many other identities dynamic, you know, the way that you, you develop and grow, you know, I personally identify as queer now, but I used to identify as gay. I used to think I was straight. So, you know, like there's definitely room for growth and, and the way that 
you come to terms with your body and your disability. So to assert, like you're saying, you know, when people come up to me and like, I, you know, I was on crutches once, like I totally understand. <laughs> like, okay, well, you, you get it. Thank you. I feel the solidarity. So yeah, I think with language around disability or the way that we conceptualize it, remembering to just be mindful of everybody has a personal journey. You know, so person first language works for some people, you know, you know, person first being person with a disability, you're saying your disability is a feature of your experience, but it's not all encompassing. It's not, you know, the entirety of it. Uh, whereas maybe you're of the identity first politic. I identify as a disabled person because there's a disability civil rights movement, it's disability justice framework, people saying like the hashtag say the word, right? You see me as disabled, you treat me like I'm disabled, so... You know, let's talk about it. Even more radical are like crip, crip, you know, cripple people reclaiming crip justice, saying like, I want to make you uncomfortable, just like queer and, you know, black people reclaiming the N-word. It's a lot about that radical pushback. And ultimately, like you mentioned with reclaiming fatness or even just owning it, it's disability is not a bad word. People make it a bad word. And so when people dance around it, you know, we were talking on the phone and I mentioned someone was like, well, you know, wouldn't you refer to it as like a limb difference? I'm like, (laughs) I mean, yes, my limbs are different, but you know, it's just so euphemistic, right? And when you just say what's happening without any stigma, without any connotation, I think that really strips the taboo Similar to with gender pronouns too, you know, we ask people what they prefer. So you can just ask disabled people what they want to be called. You know, it's not, not too hard. One thing I think about a lot with fat stuff, it, which is my a very technical term, <laughs> is that sometimes people get in this trap where they feel like they can't acknowledge the hard things that come with being fat that maybe it if you're fat it is like your knees do hurt more or it is harder to like do x y and z or you are more at risk for like various illnesses or whatever there's such a strong inclination to push back on doctors saying everything is caused by your fatness that i think sometimes people are unwilling like then you become scared of saying anything could be affected by it to me there's something like patronizing a little bit about being like no it's like like it's equal perfect. Even though I like accept the various chronic illnesses I have, they make my life harder, which is not also not to say like, therefore disability is bad. But I just think there's like a space there where sometimes people who are new to embracing parts of their identity have trouble feeling like, oh, they have to be super pro it or it's a bad thing. What do you think of that? I really identified early on in the podcast when y'all were talking about having days where you're like, this feels bad. I don't like this, right? And body positivity movements or or this this culture around like, love yourself, love your body, you know, it can create this pressure to be like, I need to love all of it, even when it sucks. Philosophically, I understand that. But like you're saying, in you know, when the rubber hits the road, it's not always that easy to say, like, this is something that I fully integrate into myself. There are disabilities that are really complicated and and not pretty, you know, that affect like your, you know, a gastrointestinal system, right? Or, you know, people with like really intense chronic pain. So, you know, Mia Mingus is a Bay Area advocate who has a really great uh, blog about like uh, disability and like ugliness and and kind of owning that that's a part of it. And that's really tied to ableism is this idea that we have to be pretty or we have to be really palatable. 
right? Or like, you know, almost like the the good fats parallel, right? Where you're like, I'm easy, I'm cool. Like, I don't need accommodations. Like, don't worry about me. So I just encourage people to, you know, to what extent you feel comfortable on those things, right? And And try not to feel bad about yourself if you need to stay in or if you're having like, you know, a bad mental health day, if you need rest um, and maybe pushing back against this, like, I have to be cool. I have to be fun. I have to be easy and breezy. Like I never need to ask for help because that's, that's that interdependence that disability justice is celebrates, you know, and, and really lifts up. Can you talk a little bit about the intersections you see between disability justice and fat acceptance or fat justice? One really noteworthy thing that I, I resonate a lot when I listen to the the pod is like being out in public, right? And like perception and bodies being consumed and like morality and this, this imposition of people, right? Kind of being invasive about your life. You know, I have people all the time when I'm out and about, you know, what happened to your leg? You know, what happened to you? You know, and haven't said hi. There's no introduction. There's no hello. We have no rapport. They're not asking me, you know, what I thought of Solange's new album or like anything. They just dive right in. And, you know, it, it makes it feel like my body's just up for public consumption. I feel like a zoo animal. And that's really hard because it is very related to trauma, right? I, I had a pretty painful experience related to, you know, I was born this way and later, you know, went through medicalized trauma and, so in a way, it's like, yeah, I, I have it not less difficult, but people have been through really intense things like cancer or diabetes or are veterans, you know, and that's not my experience. But it's it's fascinating to me that disabled bodies are so othered that people can't conceptualize why that would be inappropriate or offensive or invasive. And that I, I see those parallels a lot where people comment and, you know, are like, well, don't you think you should eat this? Or, you know, you know don't you think you're taking a little bit too much? And it's like chill out, back up. Like, (laughs) this is not your body, you know? Like, the well-intentioned piece is people are worried about your health. And so then, like, figure out how to empower people to be healthy as opposed to telling people how to do it. I know a little bit about the ADA, but that it's not super well enforced. And like fat people also have very few protections under the law. It's legal to discriminate against people for weight. So I was wondering if you know about like things people can look into if they're interested in organizing specifically around legislation or raising awareness about those kinds of things. The the thing that top of mind, there's a, a hashtag on Twitter, Crip the Vote, you know, so C-R-I-P, you know, the vote. And they're talking about uh, things that are happening right now, right, and, and real time. So if you want to check into some of what they're doing, they, they speak to the legislation, you know, and to your point, right, like just because the ADA exists, right, that was passed in 1990, and here we are in 2019, and I still have to do disability justice workshops. So it's obviously not just like changing things overnight, and I've had plenty of experiences, I'm sure you have too, where spaces are accessible, right, or have accommodations, but that doesn't mean that people are going to be nice about providing them. They're not going to be educated about the nuances of it. So just also when you're you're looking into legislation, pushing people to understand that that's a good start, but sometimes policy isn't enough, you know, and that it's the culture around that policy that people have bought into it as opposed to like, I have to, you know, it's that compliance oriented disability, like etiquette, quote unquote, right, where people are like, well, we have a ramp. 
so we're done. And I'm like, nope, there's a lot more. You know, like the ADA tries, but it's, it's you know, it's anti-discrimination, which is really important, but the, the complexities of disability can't be covered by that one single document. I wanted to know if you have any like challenges for me to explore or things you think I should push myself to look into in this episode as I'm trying to like introduce these concepts to our audience. I would say something I'm working on is is internalized ableism. I think that's a really good starting point because then you can own the way that you've adopted these messages. So that way when you're working with other people, you have that empathy to understand where someone's at in their journey. Right. It's really easy to do social justice work, make a really big leap in terms of personal development. And then when you meet someone who's at the beginning and you're like, you need to get on the page right now, you know, and it's like at 10 years ago, I was not using the word queer in a positive way. So if no one's ever encountered this material, they might not be where they need to be at. So do you feel that way with people who are disabled and people who aren't disabled? Oh, yeah, definitely. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Definitely. Like everybody needs to work on internalized ableism. So uh, the more that you can kind of process your own experiences and feelings around it, the more that I think you'll be open and receptive to what people need and and how you can invite them to like do better. (laughs) Great. Okay. I'm going to work on that. Let's go to the workshop. One of the things I admire most about Alex is the way he approaches people who don't know very much. The patience, understanding, and general kind vibe he gives off. Since I personally sometimes struggle not to snap at someone in front of me at Starbucks if they can't get their app to work quickly enough. After this conversation and the amazing workshop, I decided I needed a little more of a history lesson. Let's start at the very beginning. Very good place to start. The best place to start is, as the Sound of Music told us, at the very beginning. Let's take a walk down disability memory lane to hit the 101s of disability history in America. Some histories point to the 1869 invention of the wheelchair as a significant beginning to the movement. 
while this is sweet, we know that not all disabilities have to do with mobility. Also, the patent was called the invalid chair, so we still had a long way to go. In the 1930s, the League of the Physically Handicapped in New York City protested discrimination against people with disabilities by federal relief programs and fought for employment rights. In the 1940s, a group of psychiatric patients formed the group We Are Not Alone and supported mental health patients in their transition to communities outside of treatment. Between these decades, people with disabilities started making progress and establishing their rights. The Social Security Act established permanent assistance for people with disabilities, for example, but forced sterilization of people with disabilities was uh, still legal. The eugenics movement and social Darwinism were still popular beliefs. Yikes. And uh, of course, trigger warning, we have to remember the systematic murder of people with disabilities in uh, Nazi Germany at this time. Real nice. Post-World War II, there was a rise in America of veterans with disabilities, and because they were mostly one, white, two men, and three veterans, they were able to make progress with the state. There were some barrier-free programs for accessibility. Great. All right, let's get intersectional and talk about the civil rights movement, baby. When the civil rights bill passed in 1964... It uh, didn't include disability, but the fight for racial justice was still making strides that laid the groundwork for disability justice. For example, Brown v. Board of Education, which ended school segregation, sort of, helped people with disabilities gain access to free, appropriate public education. Immediately after that demonstration this morning, the handicap started invading the building. It's the old federal building, which is now the HEW headquarters. In 1973, the Rehabilitation Act was passed, which said that public institutions can't discriminate based on disability. However, um, they still did. Seeing a pattern here? Protests abounded. There were lots of incredible activists like Judith Human, who you can read way more about from the links in the show notes. And some groups got some more rights. Another big moment in American disability history is the Americans with Disabilities Act, passed in 1990. When the ADA was going to be stalled, 60 activists protested by crawling from their wheelchairs up the steps of the Capitol in a protest organized by activist group ADAPT. It was called the Capitol Crawl. After a day of speeches, over 60 activists abandoned their chairs and began crawling up the 83 stone steps of the Capitol. The ADA, quote, mandates that local, state, and federal governments and programs be accessible, uh, that businesses with more than 15 employees make reasonable accommodations for disabled workers, that public accommodations such as restaurants and stores make reasonable modifications to ensure access for disabled members of the public. The act also mandates access in public transportation, communication, and in other areas of life, end quote. Woohoo! The article that quote is from is linked in our show notes below. Unfortunately, as many people might know, the ADA is toothless without the tools to push it into action. Many times, it requires suing a business or location to force them to comply with the ADA, and not many people or groups have the resources required to do that. 
this point, the passing of the ADA is where a lot of disability histories will end. But for a lot of activists, this is where real current disability justice begins. The second wave of disability rights led by women of color with disabilities and having a goal of intersectionality. There's a lot of amazing people doing the work right now. Recently, there have been some conversations about disability justice and access that you might have seen in the news. There was a big wave of disability activism in response to Republican health care bills trying to repeal parts of the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, that protect people with disabilities, with the movement hashtag Crip the Vote and protests organized by ADAPT, that same group that did the Capitol crawl. Um, We also owe a lot to those disability activists, those of us who currently don't have disabilities, because they uh, kind of saved the ACA for the rest of us, too. All of this is to say there is still plenty of progress to be made and movements for you to get involved in. We've added a new section to the resources page on our website to feature all the information we gathered in the making of this episode. We've got a lot more links in the show notes to books, videos, and articles so you can learn more and follow more people who know way more than I do about the modern movement for disability justice. You know I always like to talk about media representation or interpretation of the topics we're discussing and we didn't even have time to get into that at all in this episode. So trust, we may do a whole other piece on disability justice. So send us that voice and send us those links. All right, are you fired up and ready to go like I am? Now that we know the briefest bit about disability history in America and some of the current thinking about disability justice, we'll get back into it with my follow-up interview with Alex. After the break, we'll talk about microaggressions, access to seats and spaces, and how to talk to family and friends. Sound cool? Stay tuned. Tired of DC or Marvel heroes? How about Superfit Hero? Superfit Hero recently launched their body positive fitness finder. You can use it to find body posi gyms, trainers, and activities near you. Fat Molly, you're always asking us for recs on where you can feel good moving your body. Here's a great lead. Plus, all their activewear is ethically produced in Los Angeles. I can see my house from there. JK, LA's really big, just like Superfit Hero's size range, which goes from extra small to 5XL. By the way, they don't call them super fits for nothing. All of their activewear pieces are designed and tested with athletes from the whole size range. The leggings and top fit snugly true to size. I personally wear a 4X legging and a 3X top, and I feel secure and comfortable in my set. You know I'm not just wearing my set to work out in, I'm also throwing a little chambray top over it to wear to the farmer's market or when I feel like looking like I'm a cute little athlete. I just love them. Family members looking for comfy and cute shorts, leggings, and sport crop bras can go to superfithero.com SAF or use code SAF at checkout for 15% off. Like Superfit Hero says, fitness is for everybody. We've talked about our counselors on the pod before, and you know we're all about unpacking our feelings. That's why we want to talk about BetterHelp Online Counseling. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specializing in depression, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, LGBTQ stuff, and more. All that good stuff you want to talk about. 
BetterHelp lets you connect with your counselor conveniently and safely in a confidential online environment. You could do it in your PJs, which is sometimes how I show up to therapy anyways. <laughs> Sign up today to schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. SAF listeners can save 10% off your first month of BetterHelp with code SAF. Get started today at betterhelp.com SAF. You'll fill out a little questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. You know where therapy stands, so go to betterhelp.com with code SAF for 10% off. Okay, let's get back into it. Alex was generous enough to give us a follow-up interview where we did some more discussion of disability justice. One thing I learned that I didn't know before, and we had to cut our discussion up for time, is that it's possible for perfumes or strong-smelling lotions to trigger people's sensitivities. I'd honestly never even heard of that before, but it seems obvious now that I think about it. There's plenty of things that will trigger my um, processing disorder, like people standing right behind me and talking in a low voice when I can't quite hear their words. So, you know, makes sense that if someone has an olfactory trigger, that that would be a thoughtful thing to do to accommodate them. So now I know to include that as an option when I'm planning an accessible event. Alex had on the bottom of his email confirmation for his workshop not to wear a strong sense and also to let him know if there were further accommodations needed other than the ones he listed that we that we would do which I thought was a really cool way to remind people what you're asking for, as well as make space for other things you maybe didn't think of or maybe can't provide um, unless it's specifically requested. Especially since, as he explained to me, sometimes people's accommodations or needs can run in contrast to each other. So now I know I can't always wear my beloved Glossier U if I want a space to be accessible. Or at least I should ask if anyone has a preference or need for a scent-free space before I bring it in. Anyways, let's get back into my interview with Alex. What is the bulk of your day-to-day work like? Like, how do you characterize what it's like to do work as a justice advocate? And how do you like pay the bills? What do you do? Ooh. <laughs> Diving in. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Let's let's talk about finances. <laughs> to do the work that I do sustainably or like what my day-to-day looks like is that I have a full-time job. You know, I, I'm a counselor Monday through Friday at a nonprofit. And so, you know, that affords me the privilege to have, you know, a salaried position. I have benefits, you know, so I have health insurance, uh, you know, paid time off, right? And so that money allows me the ability to like, pay rent in San Francisco and feed myself and, you know, take care of things as I embark on this journey to try to brand myself around justice and do things like host workshops that, you know, kind of cost a lot of money. If you think about it, like uh, the one in LA, like I was piggybacking that off of another trip that was luckily paid for, you know, I was paid to speak at a conference the day prior, so I didn't have to pay for my flight. But, you know, sometimes you have to pay for venues. Part of my goal as a a justice advocate is to, like, have the ability to compensate people around me, right? Like, create jobs uh, so that I'm not just, like, asking people for favors or, you know, I'm I'm creating space for marginalized people, right? Because, like, I don't want to just accumulate power, (laughs) the way that I try to to facilitate my workshops. 
yeah. when I've had the opportunity, like donating money back to organizations like Sins Invalid or the Longmore Institute or, you know, there's the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective, like places that I can say, hey, you've inspired me somehow, you've taught me somehow, like, let me redistribute this money rather than, you know, I, I'm still learning how to be anti-capitalist, but uh, a lot of It's that, hard. Yeah, yeah, totally. There are specific ways that, as a woman, I see straight cis men look at me. Mm. And, like, sometimes I'll be talking to a man. There's just, like, an edge. And I know that that edge is, like, I can get her because she's fat. Mm. Or, like, there's just something in it that's, like, weird, And I don't ever know how to describe it because then if I talk about it to my friends when we leave, they'll be like, oh, I believe you, but I have no idea like what you're talking about, basically, if they're not fat, you know? And then that compared with sometimes I'll be walking down the street and I'll make eye contact with a guy. And if I smile, then they look disgusted. And that one really makes me feel bad because most of the time I'm not smiling because I'm trying to hit on them. I'm just like... (laughs) Smiling, you're existing or like enjoying. I'm just, the world. yeah, I'm just like, oh, hello, blah blah blah, you know. How dare you? And a lot of sometimes people, men, straight men, will react like, no, I wasn't looking at you, is like what their face communicates, mm, you know? Yeah, and so those like looks or tones, those, those are the that are truly the most micro of microaggressions, mm-hmm. are the things that for me right now are the hardest to deal with or talk about because I don't feel like I have the tools to talk about them clearly. The parallel for me or the thing that's coming up is like, I find it funny when I'm out with friends where like if we're at a bar or like we're in like a a gay or like queer space and they're like, oh my God, that guy is like totally checking you out. Right. They're like, he's like staring at you. And I'm like, I, I didn't notice because I, I've, I've had so many experiences in my life where people are blatantly staring at my leg, right? Or like yeah, lack sure. thereof, where I've trained myself to stop noticing because it's exhausting to feel yeah. like my body is so foreign that people like can't be polite, like they're just staring at it. And so now it like works against me because maybe somebody is checking me out and I don't oh notice <laughs> because yes. I'm just like trying not to perceive other people. Like I'm like, are you staring at me because you're confused that I only have one leg or like, do you want to get up on this? Like, I I really can't, (laughs) you know, like, unless they're being really obvious, sometimes it it is hard to differentiate. And so I I do gaslight myself because I'm like, I don't think he's checking me out. He's probably just like confused that there's like an amputee outside and like having fun and like enjoying themselves. (laughs) Existing. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I feel that too. I definitely get more hyper aware, I think. And then the spaces where I try to shut it out, I think is usually at restaurants because people can be very rude at restaurants and just like stare at you eating, which I really... Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, even when something's verbal, there's plenty of ways to interpret or misinterpret. Mm-hmm. But when it's a look, there's just it's just hard to it's so pin ambiguous. Down. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do like exit interviews and be like, hey, um, no. I'm just curious. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, that makes me the weirdo. If I'm like, excuse me, sir, were you looking away because you find me gross? Or did you just have a mean call? You know, like <laughs> Right. Like, uh, <laughs> do you need a hug or do you yeah. need a pamphlet? <laughs> Exactly. Oh my God. Hug or pamphlet. 
what are the things that I can do as someone who likes perfume? Is it problematic to wear perfume? Help me. Many times with accommodations around disability, I hear people pose certain, you know, either preferences or like, oh, this is going to be a challenge. And there's like a grain of truth to that. But then when you push farther, it just kind of becomes this like, well, actually, my preference is more important than your accommodations. Right. Right. And so like part of me feels like it's like if you're at home and you're like, I know that my partner is not chemically sensitive and I want to smell good and like feel sexy, like this is what I'm going to wear, because that's a space where you like have autonomy and like certainty. Yeah. But in terms of like public spaces and workshops and like gatherings, you know, because a lot of times we don't know what people are going through. I always encourage people to think, you know, if you're having a moment where you're frustrated by somebody's access needs or a request, you know, take that moment to say, that's fair. Like, I wish I could wear perfume, but also I have the privilege to say I'm frustrated by this. As opposed to recognizing that you are not on the receiving end of everybody being like, your needs are a burden. Um, Exactly. I think that usually helps for me if I have moments where I'm like, oh, this sucks. Like, it kind of chills it out. And, you know, too, uh, access is messy. You know, if you have people with guide dogs, right, or, or service animals, and then people who are allergic to dogs, like, that's just a thing that's happening. You know, how do you... Yeah. How do you make a space? So it's not that access is this, like, there's, like, a ultimate golden rule where eventually we'll figure it out. Like, I think there's always going to be stuff where some people are more able to access and less in other spaces. It's more just, like, the aspiration of trying to be more universally accessible. I would really encourage uh, you, if you're interested in the listeners, there's uh, Mia Mingus, who's a queer disabled woman of color in the Bay, and she has this really beautiful blog called Leaving Evidence. And there's uh, this term that she's kind of lifted up of access intimacy. And it's kind of this idea of like, it's not about like getting access right. It's more of having the intimacy of knowing that people around you are trying to get it right. And like having the solidarity of like, sometimes like environments are shitty and you're not going to get what you need. But like having that friend that you can look at and being like, again, (laughs) right. Totally. uh, And I, I imagine that there might be some parallels in like living with fatness and how fatness is accommodated or included. Um, the access intimacy also speaks to to that connection and that sense of like, oh, people get it. Like we get a lot of questions about how people can ask for or push for larger seats in spaces. Mm. People, I think, would like to know from you how we can start including some of the tools that people who are disability advocates have used Mm -hmm. to ask for, push for, get accommodations, Mm -hmm. um, and, and expand it to (laughs) seats basically. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I really want to emphasize before offering ideas of of how to advocate, like, A, this is emotional labor. Yeah. (laughs) So if, you're tired or exhausted or it feels intimidating or anxiety provoking or risky, you know, uh, that's all real. Right. And I just want to validate and affirm that and like sending hugs to everyone. (laughs) Right. Like it's, it's shitty to have to convince people to make environments more inclusive for your body. So let's see a couple of uh, things that people can operationalize. You know, the, the startup example strikes me as a, a, 
opportunity for like cross solidarity, cross movement solidarity. It's like, y'all, you know, if we're doing great about gender, race, class, you know, why are you being selective here? If you need to send people a Kimberly Crenshaw article, right? It'd be like intersectionality is real. And I don't have time for this like single issue politics. Call, hold people accountable, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If, if yeah. they're touting inclusivity, right? It's something that they need to follow up on, right? And so they've kind of set themselves up for that in a way. Sometimes like when fat people ask for accommodation, the response we'll get essentially boils down to, you did this to yourself, Mm. so you don't deserve accommodation. Mm -hmm. And basically, you know, where it's like, it's not a disability Mm -hmm. is like something I've heard before. And it's like, basically that's one step away from, I don't care about you, you fat fuck. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right, right. Basically. Yeah. And it's like... I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, people are making it a moral issue. As, as, yeah. as if, like, if you were to have chosen the right thing, then we will help you, but you've chosen yes. the wrong thing. And so you have to live with the consequences of that. And, and I don't want to be set as a competitor with disabled people. Yeah, you know what I mean? Oh, and I mean, even that, like, morality is so flimsy because I can personally attest to experiences as a disabled person where people are very unwilling to offer me accommodations. Of course, or yeah. have been very rude or unhelpful in providing them. So even if people in that moment are like, well... Not explicitly saying this, but we're following the, like, you know, fat fuck trail of logic. Like, those people might not be decent towards disabled people either. So they can't really have it both ways. Um, And that's, I guess, another point that I was going to say is if you feel like the space that you're advocating in is making it a moral issue or, like, turning it on you as if it's your fault, like, that's when you, like, if you have the opportunity, you know, tag people in, you know what I mean? Because yeah. if if you have straight-sized people, you know, or, or skinny people also advocating, then it's less of, like, I'm asking for this because I need it. And people being like, well, you did this to yourself, so, like, I'm not going to help you. And if you have skinny people in the office who are like, no, I think this is something we need, you know, now you're kind of getting things from both sides, um, yeah, and then it's less on you to receive that like awful critique of like your body and your the autonomy that you should have in a space. That's part of the reason that it's so important to me that we do better in the body positivity movement to like include disability justice because it's all tied to bodily autonomy mm-hmm. and being able to get respect for how you are. Yeah, like just be respected in in the body you live in. Okay, so for body positivity stuff, like I have worked very hard to find space for me and other people to like feel bad about themselves at Mm, times when mm, you just feel mm, like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, hurt by society or just like if you're like, oh, I feel gross right now. I just don't, I'm having trouble liking my body or something, you know? How do you recommend people work better on or work more, work smarter, work harder Mm -hmm. on like, okay, can I give you an example? For example, (laughs) if I like twist my ankle Mm -hmm. and I'm like annoyed because I have to have a crutch for a week, how can I talk about that without making it sound like not having the use of my leg is like the worst thing in the world. (laughs) And like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Totally. Uh, I would say first up is do not talk to amputees and be like, I yeah. was a coach just one time and I totally get it. Like that yeah. is, I cannot tell you how many times people say that to me and I'm like, oh, oh my wow. God. I'm so glad you understand this like systemic Jesus experience. Christ. No, you know, if you are struggling with challenges of accepting, you know, limitations or impairments in physical ability, mental ability, you know, emotional things, you know, I would encourage you, like I had mentioned before, like looking into this concept of internalized ableism, Mm -hmm. trying to find some other people's perspectives on like how you are internalizing this idea that being disabled is inherently bad um, will hopefully maybe give you some perspective on that. And then also, you know, just trying to do a flip. That's what I do for myself rather than globalize, right? If you've sprained your ankle and you're like, uh, like I, I hate my body right now. You know, it's you hate your ankle. <laughs> you don't yeah. hate your body. You know, and or I, being yeah, being very specific is super helpful. Like instead of like being on crutches sucks, you could say like, uh, my ankle really hurts, yeah. and this I'm not used to doing this. Yeah, you know, or like being on crutches can suck. Disability justice is all about like disability is not a burden, right? It's something that yeah. is generative. It's magic. It's creative you know, it's adaptable. And so for as much as if you want to talk to me about, you know, marginalization and microaggressions and challenges with accommodations, ultimately, you know, I want, I'm posturing as Glampy T because I, I love the the fabulousness of disability and the, you know, the flamboyance that I am adopting in my life around these things. And I think what I've learned from y'all in body positivity has really given me that permission to just be like, as loud and brash and, you know, as Leo as I want to be about, um, <laughs> you know, loving my body and also being comfortable, like having times where I don't love it, you yeah. know, and I'm still working through that a lot, like shout out to therapy, right? Like yeah, this hell yeah. is a, a huge part of what I'm trying to figure out. And so <laughs> Dr. Thornton and Burbank, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I find that I think that's something I've I've been really grateful for in your podcast and and in in the words that you shared. So uh, you know, I just want to say so nice. thank you for that. You know, and I'm excited to get to help broach these conversations and and bridge these communities because I I'm excited to see how we can support each other and hopefully you know the fat Millie can look out for <laughs> the disability team. You know, oh and- my god, I love it. <laughs> Yes. Um, like, let's have a cookout or something. I don't know. Oh, my God. I okay, wait. Bake, so. I, oh, my God. Good, because I can't cook at all. Is there anything you want to tell people to find you on, especially, or, like, a book you want them to read or, like, something they can buy to support you? Uh, to support me, you know, follow me on Instagram, like I mentioned, at Glambute, so at G-L-A-M-P-U-T-E-E. And then I also have a website, so www.glampute.com. I have a resource, I have resource guides, <laughs> multiple. Amazing. Um, oh my God. Thank you. Most of the things on the resource guides are free. It's like videos and articles. I, I just really, really encourage people to check that out. Don't have the privilege of coming to one of my workshops, then, you know, <laughs> this is kind of like a flavor of, of the tea that we spill. And I, I hope that it is a way that you can help broaden this conversation with people around you. And do you have um a Venmo or a PayPal if people have like benefited from your work and they oh, have the extra funds, yes. how can they support you? Oh, it certainly takes some coins. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> it's also Glamp U T on Venmo. So, you know, G L A M P U T E E. Great. If you feel like supporting Alex's work, especially because all those resources are free, then um, shoot some money over there. Thank you so much for being on the show and like letting me come to the workshop and taking so much time and, and giving us so much of your thoughts and brain and space. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I've been a longtime listener, first time Hannah. So (laughs) (laughs) really wanted to give April that voice. So this is like truly an honor and a privilege. I I love being a member of the family. So thank you. Okay. So you and me, Alex, we have now solved the like issue of how we can make body positivity and uh, disability justice intersect. So what can we tell the family? Mm, you're You're welcome welcome. (laughs) perfect (laughs) thank you so much alex now that we know a little more about disability justice i honestly feel like i'm still just scratching the surface alex taught me a bunch of things i didn't know and we didn't even get to play all of our interview there's more for all of our patrons as extras, as well as a longer mini song for Team I Love Bread with an amazing person I met at Alex's workshop who works as a disability workshop trainer. And there are, of course, as I said, a ton of links and info in the show notes, and we welcome any and all feedback and updates and corrections and requests. I'd especially like to highlight further resources in the work of Denari Grace at Writer's Delight on social, who is an activist slash artist slash writer who focuses on fat activism, justice for black disabled folk and queerness. That's at Writer's D-E-L-I-T-E. Also Kia Brown at Kia, K-E-A-H underscore Maria, M-A-R-I-A on Twitter, who created the hashtag disabled and cute has a new book coming out. Following her is a great intro to disability issues, and she is indeed disabled and cute. Mia Mingus has an amazing blog called Leaving Evidence that's super helpful reading, and Sins Invalid is a blog and performance center for people with disabilities. They focus a lot on fat liberation combined with disability justice, and they have a bunch of really approachable resources. Special, special shout out to Lynn for putting a lot of the history that we told you about together. You're the best junior producer we got. I'm so excited to know more and we'll be sure to let you know how we are starting to include disability justice into our fat activism in the future. Let's finish up the meat of it with some voice memos from our family. Hi, it's Anna from Minneapolis. I identify as a fat, white, disabled woman. My pronouns are she and her, and I consider myself a disability justice advocate. There has been for a while a debate on whether to use person-first language or identity-first language, and I think um, a lot of us family can agree that identity-first language is a lot easier when describing yourself. Either way, For me, personally, it does not matter as long as you refer to me as having a disability or being disabled. Another thing that really um, we need to remove from our vocabulary is the word handicapped. Um, I know a lot of people describe parking spaces this way, 
but it is actually a word that is rooted in hateful and bigoted uh, language towards disabled people. Replace it with the word accessible. For example, I use accessible parking because I have a disabled blackguard. We love our disabled family. Please keep letting us know your experience with being fat and disabled, and we'll be sure to revisit this in the future. And if you're not currently disabled, let us know what you're doing to include disability justice in your activism and your body positive work. Okay, I don't think we've quite solved anything yet, but I'm glad we got to learn a little together. I feel lucky to have had these conversations. So, to myself, you're welcome, self. Thank you, Alex. Bye. And that's our show. She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Khan, and the iconic April K. Quio, who was on a break this season. You know what she said to me the other day, though, was... It's just for me and you to know. All right, April. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions via email or voice recording to fyi at she's all fat Please make sure to leave us a review on Apple podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show. If you leave us a review, we'll give you a shout out on the pod next week. Our music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish and our logo is by Britt Scott. This episode was co-produced and edited by Maria Wirtel. Our junior producer is the amazing Lynn Barbara. I am our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Bye. Yeah, I'm the I'm the titular fatty. <laughs> the titular, so. Right. It's okay. You can ask. <laughs> <laughs> wow, titular fatty. Also great. Book it's title. a terrible name. Oh my god, that's my that's my drag name. <laughs> oh, titular fatty. Titular fatty. Wow. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.